Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 10% Happier early and ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. So I invited Eileen Fisher on. You're going to hear from her. I'll introduce her in a moment. She's a huge name in the fashion industry. And in many ways, I thought, to borrow a phrase that I used in my book, I thought that this interview was going to be kind of like a two animal species trying to talk to one another who are like not of the same species, like uh, like a lizard trying to talk to a goat because we're so different. But she's incredibly interesting. And uh, I learned a lot. And I think you'll hear some huge areas of, of overlap. Uh, so here you go. Here's Eileen Fisher. From ABC, this is the 10% Happier Podcast. I'm Dan Harris. I'm going to start with the question that I ask everybody at first, which is how, when, where, why did you start meditating? Oh, great. Love that question. Um, Okay, so uh, I I think I'm I'm a person who's sort of always been kind of a seeker. I'm not that I'm a little different type than you're you're sort of targeting, maybe. I'm the sort of tree hugger gal. (laughs) You mean? (laughs) The ones you kind of... (laughs) mock a little bit. <laughs> so I'm kind of... You mean uh, I make fun of people like you, is what you're right, saying. probably. <laughs> yeah, but I, you know, I still love people like you. Yeah, yeah, I make fun of... I, I try to do it with a, a, a loving... I know you do. You're hysterical. I adore it. Anyway, so um, I guess around... Uh, so I, I do my things. I started doing therapy years ago and journaling and all kinds of different um, sort of seeker, you know, ways to know myself. I'm always trying to... Uh, know who I am and what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and, you know, what's impacting me and all those kinds of things. So um, I think around 15 years ago, I went probably on my first yoga retreat. And I hadn't really done yoga before that. And while I was doing yoga, we started always with my, with meditation for half an hour every morning. And I was just kind of taken with how blissful I felt. I didn't know it was possible to be free of the chatter in my mind. And so I was... Um, loved that. But uh, then I went home and I committed to five minutes every day. Can I stop you right yes. there for a second? Because most people, their initial experience of meditation is not bliss. It's right. like torture. Right. You know, right. because you're right. just really seeing how crazy you are. <laughs> so what what is your mind like that that was awesome for you? All right. Well, well keep in mind, I was on vacation in Mexico. Mm-hmm. So that contributed to it. And we were meditating overlooking the, the water. And, you know, so it's particularly gorgeous. Um, And then I did yoga right after that. So it was this kind of, and then we went swimming and, you know, beautiful meals and all those things. So it was kind of a a whole package. And it was later, and when I got home, and I tried to do the five minutes that I got in trouble, and that I was not able to follow through, you know, and I tried, I went back another, you know, for five years, and I, I tried really hard to anchor at least a minimal five minute practice and for five years. And um, wasn't very successful. And um, I think for exactly the reasons that you're talking about is that I would face myself and my own mind that was pretty uh, chaotic. It's a collision with reality. <laughs> right, exactly. You really see how crazy we all crazy, are. Crazy, crazy. Right? I still, you know, even after years of meditating, I still wake up every morning crazy, feeling crazy. And I, I, have, to, I have to sit up and meditate or or my mind will get the better of me. So it's the first thing you do in the morning? First thing, every morning. Yeah. Well, to your... 
But I didn't finish how, how I got into it then, how I actually, but go ahead. Keep but I just want to say in your defense, if you didn't wake up a little crazy. <laughs> I would be really crazy. Yeah, given the size. <laughs> aware of, that I was crazy. <laughs> right, right. I mean, given the size of the organization you're running, yeah, it's yeah. got, I, I just, the amount. But I have so many good people, you know, so I don't. Sure, but when an issue reaches you, it's yeah, probably a problem. That's true. That is true. <laughs> So anyway, yeah, uh, just our I decision ju- has to be made. Of course. So I just wanted to say that in your defense. But anyway, back Thank to you. your story. <laughs> Acknowledging that load that I carry. Yeah. It is uh it is overwhelming. I'm days. sure it is. Yeah. I want and I, I don't want to ask you about that and what what whether meditation helps, but Yeah. But uh back, anyway, you you were telling me so you did it. You did it. You tried five minutes a day, and right. You and struggled. I tried over a five-year period. I kept going back to that retreat. I'd do yoga classes, and I tried meditating, and I couldn't. I'd do it at night or in the morning. I, I couldn't. I couldn't sort of anchor it. And then I ended up um, at the Chopra Center about ten years ago, and I did a program called Emotional Freedom, because I knew that I was like. I was triggered too easily by things and emotionally kind of hijacked too often in my life. And so, like, a problem would become some thing in my mind. And so I wanted to get free of the emotional chaos that I was in. And so that's why I went to this program. But, of course, what they taught was meditation. So um, basically what they said uh, that really worked for me was um, get up meditate first thing in the morning. They gave me this phrase, rise, pee, meditate. <laughs> <laughs> and it worked. It worked. That may be the only Deepak Chopra catchphrase that I like. <laughs> yeah, probably. No, it's a I good mean, one, I, though, and it I, works. I, yeah, no, no, actually, that's probably unfair to Deepak. He probably says a lot of things I like. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But I also like to make fun of him a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that worked for you. And at that point, it, that it's, it's stuck? It's stuck. And I've been doing it ever since. And what is your – how long do you go? So I go between 10 minutes and 30 minutes. depends on what else I'm doing. So I have to do yoga in the morning too because I really need the physical piece. And so um, I'll do yoga for a minimum of 10 minutes and I'll meditate for a minimum of 10 minutes. But if I have more time, I try to do 30. But many days I don't do 30. I do 10 and 10 usually. And what is what is the actual technique you're doing when you meditate? Ah, okay, that's good. So um, when I first started at the Chopra Center, I got um, uh, I started using a, a mantra, uh, and you know, just kind of repeating the phrase. I don't even remember what the phrase is. Uh, and then I got involved with um, kind of Buddhist meditation and doing. I went on a seven day silent retreat, mm, probably seven, six, seven years ago. Wow, where? And, where? Uh, in Colorado at uh, Red Feather Shambhala Center. Huh. Okay, yeah, yeah. Shambhala you know Center. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know that place specifically, you know, but the Shambhala Center was founded right. by uh, Chogyam Trungpa. Trungpa yes, right. who's right. famous and infamous right. at the same time. Right. Exactly. Buddha, a Tibetan uh, monk who uh, I guess took the robes off and lived a, a yes. lay life, right. but has a big following that remains to this day. Definitely. I have a lot of friends who are. Yeah, who are active members oh, of Oh, good. So do I. Yeah, that's good. I'll have to compare notes. Yeah, we actually do that uh, on Sunday mornings. We have a group that meets in our office in, the, in uh, Westchester. Oh, so it's a Shambhala it's group. Public. It's a Shambhala group. Well, the guy who profiled you for Mindful Magazine. Oh, right. Barry Boyce, Barry. Yeah, who's yeah, a, yeah. A, a close friend and advisor oh, of mine. Great. He's some, great. He's an amazing guy. Yeah. I call him like the beat reporter for mindfulness. He's like, a, he, he's, he, <laughs> He really is like a guy you would meet covering City Hall in, in Dayton in some ways, in some ways. Um, 
but that he knows everybody in the mindfulness. He's world. actually his hometown is uh, Pennsylvania, where my ex husband is from. So oh, really? Town in Pennsylvania. <laughs> So he has a working class vibe to him, like a working class journalist vibe to him. But he's also, as are almost all working class journalists I've met, really sharp, really smart, really plugged in. And he's a a long time Shambhala practitioner. Yes, definitely. Um, I think I've taken us astray narratively. No, no, that was a a fun article to do with him. Yeah, I I liked him. I recommend it to everybody. You can find the uh, PDFs online. I read it. One of many things I read in preparation oh, nice. for this oh, interview with you. you. Um, and Mindful Magazine is a, is a yeah, great yeah. magazine. Yeah, it's good. I believe you were on the cover? Yes. You're a cover girl. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, any magazine that's putting you on the cover, it's a, that's a good thing. Especially <laughs> since the, the, you know, the mindfulness, uh, we're, now I'm getting into a real tangent here, but mindfulness hasn't had a, sort of a, sen- uh, a house organ, you know what I mean? Like a, uh-huh. sen- uh, a central repository for information and yeah. mindful magazine has really done that yeah, quite yeah. well and, and brought it out more uh, in the secular world I absolutely think. made it accessible so so you started doing shambhala meditation is that what you still do yeah i do um basically it's uh just following my breath and trying to keep bring my mind back to um following my breath because even now after many years my mind as you know, is it just constantly needs to be um, pulled back. And so that's what I do. And I also do a loving-kindness meditation some mornings, most mornings. And is that is that something you learned through Shambhala or elsewhere? No, I actually learned it through Barbara Fredrickson. Sure, her yes. Book, She's a, yeah. Is she a scientist? I believe. Um, Hmm. Or a researcher of some sort? Yeah, some sort. Yeah. 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 I've heard her name. I Love think... 2.0, her book, was what I read that was fantastic. She, I think, now I'm, I'm speaking from ignorance here, so I just want to be up front. I think she's done some work with Sharon Salzberg, who is a, really a, a major proponent in the right. meditation world for loving-kindness right. meditation. That's right. Yeah, love. It's all about love, isn't it? Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I have to say, <laughs> as, as, a, as a lifelong you know, nihilistic skeptic and sarcastic <laughs> uh, wise-ass, uh, um, I, I, and I've talked about this in the podcast before, I mean, I am a real believer in loving-kindness meditation, yeah. which is this practice where you yeah. systematically, you, you, visualize people and systematically right. send them good vibes and right. I often make the joke that it, it initially it sounds like um, Valentine's Day with a machete to your throat right. it's just really right. like enforced um, gooeyness uh, <laughs> but the science it works. shows it works. it works and it works in interesting ways it, sh- it, it has health benefits so it yeah. lowers the release of stress hormones oh, and things like good. that but it can change behavior Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, for example, children, preschoolers who are taught how to do this kind of meditation are more likely to give their stickers away to kids they don't know. Oh, how sweet. It's really sweet. <laughs> it's, and as a, the father of a one-and-a-half-year-old, I need to get around to teaching this kid yeah. because he, he won't give me anything. Well, I can say for myself, I'm more um, – I, I can find myself welcoming people in a more warm way, You know, even people that I maybe don't feel comfortable with or – not sure if I actually like, but I can, but I can feel, you know, sort of energetically that I feel that I'm more able to be warmer with people. Why do you think that is? Is it? Is it? Is it? I think I, my mind got tricked into thinking. No, I don't know. I don't actually know. I think it's practicing that that uh, particular meditation that I do. 
I think it it shifts something. It makes um, it's it's sort of like you trick your mind. It's like laughter yoga or something. Mm. They say that it actually you start to feel happier. Or I noticed you a- interviewed Amy Cuddy. You know, yeah, yeah. All that. Um, that if you change your body, power poses. You know, yeah, you change your mind. If you change your mind, you change your behavior. I, I think I think it's almost like tricking ourselves. Is that strange? Or you could say training yourself. Training. That's better. I like that better. Yeah. It may be a, a mix of the two. But I wonder, you know, sometimes when it, as it pertains to mindfulness, uh, excuse me, loving kindness meditation and behavior change, is it, obviously you're training the part of the brain that is compassionate, but there's a cognitive component too, right? Yeah. So like when you see somebody, and I'm sure in your line of work, you see a lot of people, some percentage of them are going to be difficult people for you. Yeah. Is there all some- of us in all of our lives. Of course, of course. But <laughs> your life- The difficult person is my son, therefore, so it's not just at work. <laughs> Fair enough. How old is your son? Twenty-seven. Okay, well, it's a good age. For he, difficultness. Uh, I, I have a I have a son too, so you have I can a little get one some, now, don't I you? have a little one, but yeah. he's. he's uh, I, I have. Uh, uh, let's talk about that too at some point. Parenting. Um, oh, yes. The I, there's a cognitive component too because you can see, and, and maybe this is kind of what's drummed into us through doing the practice and yeah. reading about it and learning about it. You see that even if this person is difficult for you. They want the same thing you do, which is yeah. to be happy, right? not to suffer. That's right. And that is a, just a useful intellectual reframing of the thing. Right. That's good. I like that. What, Reframe. What other impacts did this doing this mix of mindfulness meditation yeah. and loving kindness have on, on your life? Because yeah. you have a son... You have an ex-husband. You yeah. also run this Goliath <laughs> of an institution. So, yeah. what? Well, how else did you find big. it useful? <laughs> well, look. I mean, I run. It's all relative. <laughs> I, I I have uh, structured my life so that nobody reports to me. So yeah, I, yeah. I I don't run anything. So yeah, yeah. sitting here with somebody who has twelve hundred employees, that's yeah. that seems like a Goliath of an institution to yeah. me, at least. Yeah, uh, yeah, it is. Um, I guess the impacts that I see is that. Um, I think I think I'm different. I think I'm able to kind of show up uh, in a little more whole way, and I think that it's affecting the work. I think the work I care more about the work itself, and not just the product that we create, but the whole of the work, um, from the the um, the way people work together, the way we treat each other, you know, the way we try to help create an environment where people can grow and also the way we treat the workers and the way we care about the planet I think that um, all of those things have have sort of shifted and I don't I don't it's not I mean I meditate but I think it's more than that I think we actually I don't know if you know but in the workplace we we ring the bell and we have a moment of silence before meetings did you hear about this? I did hear about that. that yes. Did that really scare you? Like, no. oh my god, that's so weird. No, 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 no. I mean, it, I mean, look. It probably, if you had told me this eight years ago, I would have thought right. it was weird because well, that was before I was is meditating. That a cult or something really weird going on over there? Maybe, maybe. But now I think you know. I, I debate it because I have meetings. Uh, yeah, I have a little company that teaches people how to meditate uh, through so an great. app, and um, we don't do that at the beginning of our meetings. And I think it's partly because culturally we're trying we're trying to position ourselves as, yeah. you know, meditation for um uh, uh 
people who are not weird, right? right. Who don't think they're weird, <laughs> the right? Skeptics, I like it. Yeah. Yes, and it's for anyone, really. No, it is for everyone. Really, I love what you're doing. I think Thank it's you. Really good. I appreciate that. It's really that. important because I think to take it out further and to let people know how helpful it can be. And I, I, I want to say one other thing about the work situation because it's say as much as you want. Well, I think what's really interesting, and and I think it is this kind of idea of stopping and you know, having a little space and creating awareness of what are we doing and why are we doing it and how are we doing it and how could we do it better. Um, I, think, I think it's the kind of re- reframing that needs to happen in the whole world of work. You know, I think that we can make a much bigger difference in the world through the workplace if we change our level of consciousness, you know, so that, so that we actually can tap into the energy um, that different that everyone has, and and the positive energy rather than the negative in the crazy minds that we can bring to things and the, all our weird patterns and past. And I have this consultant. He says that ninety percent of what we bring into the workplace is our childhood patterns, and so we're always acting out and being triggered by people and you know all kinds of weird things, you know. But if we could free that up and we could get that other 90% of energy from people, then we could really, you know, we could really use the energy of people in the workplace to, to really make a big difference, like what you're doing. Well, you know? thank you. I think what you said is a 1,000% true. I, I guess the question goes back to what we were discussing before. How do you introduce it in a way that it doesn't right, seem it weird, weird, right? Right. Well, actually, probably when we did it, it might have seemed a little bit weird. Um, but we have a culture that, you know, we've drawn in a kind of, I think, maybe the kind of clothes we make, the kind of um, the, the way we work. We've drawn in a certain kind of employee that sent, tends to care about well-being and these kinds of things. So it's not so weird in our environment. But we had these consultants who've been working for us for many years, and they now take the practice out into other organizations, and they don't call it meditation or even mindfulness. They just say it's a moment to pause before starting a meeting. Just take a moment to pause. And, you know, we need to gather you know, we need to let go of where we came from and the last meeting we're in and worrying about whatever else we're worried about and just be present to this meeting and to this moment. Yeah, I mean, you could call it a sanity break. Right. And, and a lot of people do. They'll, you know, people do different things. I have a skeptic in my office. He says I count to 60 every time we do that. Um, and that's okay, you know. Absolutely. And it's still, I think it still gives you a little break. And other people say, oh, God, we forgot to ring the bell. You know, we need a moment. and Or sometimes in the middle of a meeting, wow, that was a really important idea or that was an important thought. And someone will say, let's just take a moment and they'll ring the bell. But how to do it and so it's not weird and so that moment of pause or that sanity break, let's take a sanity break. Or sometimes a stretch break, like would people do that? Would that be weird? We do that too. Uh, you, you're all in. You've done it all. I mean, you've got massage therapists walking around the office. Um, you're, you're, I think it's easier for you. You set the tone of, for culture in the company. It's The company's right. named after you. People are drawn to you. If I people think, think it's weird, they don't come probably over Probably not. <laughs> probably not. Um, but for uh, other employers, I think it's trickier. I and then know. you get into the whole issue of secularity. And, right. Uh, and and right. are you enforcing something on people? Right. Right. And we're trying to actually... Um, I'm not helping you with your goal here, but we're trying to actually go get people to go deeper, you know, to actually really work on their other ni- the 90% that 
hold us back. You know, so how want, do you do? How do you get them to so do that? So we I recently started a learning lab. I don't know if you're aware of that, but um, the idea is that people go off site and work on, you know, um, purpose and um, embodiment is something I'm interested in. What, is, what do you mean by that? Um, I mean, um, like, how do we show up fully in ourselves, in our bodies, and you know, um, and how do we notice? what we're feeling and thinking and, you know, how, how do we keep referencing ourselves, our own bodies in the midst of whatever else is going on? So how do I know, like, oh, I'm a little intimidated in this conversation or I'm a little uncomfortable. Please tell me you're not intimidated. <laughs> I'm not intimidated, okay. but often, you know, I'll find myself in a situation where I am become aware that I've just shut down or I'm not listening, really hearing what's happening or, or I'm not bringing my full self to the, or my, I'm not responding. Like one of the things, maybe this is that I have this problem. I shut down and I, like, I can't hear or I can't speak sometimes because, and I can't bring my uh, voice to the situation because something has scared me or something. So I'm learning to notice, you know, my pattern. It's a childhood pattern for me of shutdown. That's how I coped with all kinds of difficult situations in my family. Just shut down, you know, hang out with myself. Uh, so learning about that and, and actually learning that I can stop and I can make a different choice. Oh, I can actually show up. I can actually speak up here. I can actually listen better. I can actually ask that person to repeat because I just, and sometimes I'll just say, whoa, I just missed that. Could you just repeat that? Could I, I just really want to hear you. And, and, and just realizing that <clears throat> I, you know, as I become more aware of what I'm feeling and noticing inside that I can make different choices. And then in doing that, I, I show up differently. I can even, I can make different decisions. Like I told this story recently, I, we're um, in the midst of um, shifting around uh, our leadership group and hiring a few new key executives. And um, uh, I was interviewing marketing people. And um, I found myself like, you know, noticing, like being able to step back and notice, whoa, I'm shutting down. I'm actually uncomfortable. I'm, a, I'm afraid of this person. Hmm. And so um, she's really smart. She really has a lot of background. I don't even know how to ask questions. Hmm. And so I caught myself doing that, and I was able to go, whoa, to myself. I, I missed a fair amount of that interview. She's pretty interesting. But I, in the past, I would probably go like, no, I didn't, I didn't really connect with her or something didn't feel right and then I realized no that was me and that was my fear and that was me shutting down and so afterwards I said I think maybe we need to interview her again because I don't think I fully heard all of what was happening and so now um, I'm not going to finish that whole story but I think we've created a whole new path of for me I'm more open to people that I might have actually not let in to the company so I think it's going to be I think it's going to be a huge win for the company because I'm able to kind of reference myself and and open up more. You know what strikes me sitting here talking to you because we said at the you said in a very charming way at the beginning that you think that uh, you're maybe the type of person that I kind of make fun of once right. in a while. But we're saying the exact same thing. We yeah. just use different language. Oh, is that it? Okay. I wouldn't probably say embodied, oh, but right, right. but it's a 
it is it a compl- it is a super legitimate idea. If you you're feeling, we call mm-hmm. them feelings for a right, reason. You right. feel them in your body. Right. If you're stuck in your own head right. and you're not in touch with whatever's happening in your right. actual body, right. you are going to miss stuff, and you're you will get trapped it. by all of your conditioning, all the stuff in your past, right. all the stuff right. you're worried about. Yeah. And so, what you're talking about right now is completely um, commonsensical. Right. <laughs> But I'm saying it in language that's a little less accessible, so that's very no. Interesting. I mean, it, to to me, but I'm just one person, man. I think it's going to be incredibly accessible to to lots of people. Yeah. Um, there, <laughs> I don't think um, this was not a critique at all. This was yeah. just more like uh, no. I think we have the exact we have very similar views on these issues. It's just yeah. a matter of we may just say it differently. Yeah, yeah. But to, and the. Well, back to the embodiment topic, though, because I'm really fascinated. But, but you're absolutely right. The language is really important, and Barry talks about that. And when he, in, you know, Barry Boyce from Mindfulness, Mindful Magazine, um, talks about the right language that makes it accessible so more people are invited in, so we're not shutting people he, out. He had me do a, a joint column with him, something like seven ways to talk about meditation without being annoying, or something like <laughs> right, that. Right, that's uh, great. So yeah, it's it is it's a trick. It's right, a it right. is a trick. Um, you know, I do, and you may have. Go ahead. If I, was I ask you a say qu- more about it, but it's okay. It's no, okay. please do, please do, because then I have a follow-up what, question after that. Okay, and I'm trying to remember what I was going to say. Well, I'll ask you the question. Oh, if you the get question, to it, then back. that's fine. It um, you said you were trying to get you, you. You said you were trying to get in the direction of getting your employees to go deeper. And right. one of the things that you, in the lab that you talk about is embodiment. That's how we got right. to embodiment oh, right. uh, in a learning Purpose, lab. Embodiment. Exactly. Leadership. And so, how do you how do you draw how do you as an employer draw the line between being the employer and being like psychotherapist um, right. and oh, nanny and all that? Uh, but you're providing people with yeah. things that most employers don't and might see as like um, beyond the purview the of an employer. Or, yes. Right, right. Um, well, I guess I, the way I see it is that if people get freed up, and we can sort of get this other part of energy, you know, that, that's actually held in their, that gets in their way, the obstacles, the, you know, all of that. If we can free that up, then it's good for business. Uh, see, see, now you're it's talking like me. Yes, It's all connected, yes. you know, and it's not, it's not the full intention. And for me, kind of, it's deeper because I really care that if we fully engage people in deeper ways. They're going to do deeper, more interesting work. They're going to bring much more to what they do. And I think that's what our company wants, and I think that's what the world needs. So, so wh- there's no mutual exclusivity here. Right. Motivation is an interesting thing because we can right. be – there Motivation, are lots of right. levels. I like the way you frame it. See, I wasn't thinking about that word, but that's exactly right. We, 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 I feel like, you know, uh, if I think about think decisions. Let's do a project together. That would be fun. Let's do a project together. Relanguage it and, yeah. Absolutely. That'd be cool. yeah. Um, I think about things that, this, things that I'm working on or decisions I'm making. Or, and I always think there's like a spectrum of motivation. So sometimes right. it ranges from crass to really high-minded. Right. You know, or like my Let's book. Feed the monster. we got to feed the monster. Well, there's that true. <laughs> feed that, the beast. Of <laughs> course. Feed the beast is part of every business, uh, certainly in, in – um, Well, we could argue that, but let's talk about – no, that's a different conversation. We'll have No, no. Let's <laughs> talk about that too. There's so many things I want to ask you. Um, f- but feeding the beast um, in our in my line of work in journalism really means that we have these shows – 
you know, two hours in the morning for Good Morning mm-hmm. America and a half hour for World News Tonight and half hour for Nightline. And we need to feed that beast. We need to feed the beast. Right, um, we need right. to, that content for that for, right. the, for that, those shows. And so you can be really focused on getting the content for every night's show. But you, then sometimes that can create a tunnel tunnel vision right right that's good but in terms of in terms same with clothes same with clothes of we course have to fill yeah the fall line spring line we got to do it and the customers want to know what's next and so we got to do it but at the same time you know how do you have a larger vision? lost in you know so how do you keep the quality and the content the way you want it and not compromise and at the same time you know get the work done and meet the deadlines and and do what you need to do to keep it moving. Yeah, feed that beast while also having the large enough vision to and view to say, oh, we need to set up a learning lab or right. we need to do oh, these other things for right. our employees. Right. On the on the issue of motivation, I just um, what I was going to say is like even if you take writing my, my I wrote a book, so right, right, I know. so so it, what was my motivation? I wanted on one level it was pretty high minded. I wanted right. to make meditation accessible to millions of people right. who would otherwise not right. like it. On the other hand, you know, um, I, it built my personal brand in some right, ways, nice. right? So yeah, yeah. there's a some of that is not some uh, the, part of my motivation for doing that isn't stuff that I'm super proud of, right? Uh-huh. But some of it is, and yeah. that is, you know, when you talked before about why you're doing this kind of deep work with your employees, right? right. It, it can range from right. hey, I oh, want this is good I, for business. It's or... good for business. To these are people I care about. They're around me every day. Right. Uh, I want them to be happy. Exactly. It's all, yeah. Yeah, it can be win, win, win. can kind of get it all. This show is brought to you by BetterHelp. I got to tell you, I feel so much better when I talk about my anxiety instead of keeping it bottled up. There's an expression that I first heard from the great researcher and also Zen practitioner Robert Waldinger, never worry alone. Our temptation many times is to keep it bottled up, but... The data really show that the people who do the best in life, who live the longest and are the happiest, have strong relationships with people with whom they can talk about whatever's going on in their lives. And for me, therapy is part of that. If you're thinking of starting therapy, you might give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com happier today. To get 10% off your first month, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash happier. As they say at Amica, empathy is our best policy. Whether you need auto, home, or life insurance, they're ready to help you protect the things that matter most to you. They're a mutual company, customer-owned, in service to you. Amica representatives are here when you need them, and you can take comfort knowing a real person will be there on the phone to take care of you because the greatest measure of their success is your satisfaction. The other thing you do in your business... I do. I want to also ask you about the 10% happier concept, but go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, go ahead. You oh, okay, it. and then you can tell, ask me more about my business. So um, so I was thinking about 10% happier, and, the, and I wanted to ask you, are you 10% happier? My view now is, first of all, it was a joke. Um, I know. It was a joke, but my view now is that the 10% compounds annually. Yeah, so yeah. like any so good happier investment. happier and happier. Of course. I, I, I'm terrible at math, but I kind of think about it geographically. Um, that there's 
an X axis, you know, that runs yeah. uh, horizontally, I think. Um, I can't remember. But anyway, so we, we have this happiness set point, right, that right. psychologists say that, you know, if you think about a graph and the whatever is running uh, uh, horizontally, if they, I think it's the x-axis, that we, good things happen and we tend to go above the the, uh-huh. the set point and right. then we're psyched. Cool. Yeah. And, but then we, we revert Drop back to it eventually. Right. And then bad things happen. We go below right. and then we come – but, we, you right. know, we get over it. We come right. back to the happiness set point. I sort of feel like what meditation has done for me is that it's made the high higher. Right. But not in a manic way. It's just that right. I'm not so busy thinking about what's next right. that I actually enjoy it. Enjoy actually it. Yes. it right. Like having a kid. There's a lot of stuff right. that's really enjoyable nice. about having a kid. Yeah. Um, and then on the lower stuff that I feel like it helps um, my, with me uh, make the trough shallower because I'm more resilient, less prone to useless rumination about my problems. And then what it yeah. also does is it moves the happiness set point up. That's cool. I like that. Uh, so one of the things I've observed is also that I notice that though I'm happier, I'm also sadder when I'm sad. Because you're actually feeling the I'm thing. Because I'm actually feeling it. Yeah. So that's that's an observation that's interesting to me. It can also it's all good. It, it's also true. I feel like there's an adolescent stage of practice which I'm yes. definitely in where yeah. you see how crazy you are. Right. And like you're seeing it more, you right. know, you're seeing it more right, than right, you used right. to because exactly. before you were, you know, hiding it. And that's exactly. an awkward stage. You're letting yourself see it. And that's absolutely. So that's, it's not for the faint of heart, this meditation at a certain point. It takes courage. Yeah, I think it does. I think that's why it was those first five years hard to do those five minutes, because it takes a certain courage just to be with yourself and the weirdness that we are, you know, I mean, the, the chaotic mind and the strange things. I mean, I still, like I was telling you earlier, still wake up every morning with this kind of anxiety and strange, you know, thoughts, where, you know, like worrying about problems. And, and until I sit and meditate, I, you know, I can't kind of get a handle on it. And it's not like the meditation makes it go away. No, no, no. <laughs> That's why I was saying about 10% happier. It's, it doesn't make it go away, but you, you can handle it better. You can be with things that you might not have been able to be with, I, I think. Like I, I often talk about my mother. She was um, lived with depression, you know, and it was really hard to be around her. Seven kids, I don't blame her. I'd have been depressed too. But, you know, she always believed that the only way to cure her depression was to get to the doctor and get the medication right. And then if the medication wasn't right, then she was going into another depression. And she was always worried that that big black cl- cloud was going to descend on her again. So she never felt she had any choice in the matter. And so for me, that's what's most interesting about meditation is that it gives us that opportunity to, to choose, to say that I don't have to live in this state of depression. I have a tool that's powerful. I can do this, or I can do yoga, or I can eat differently, or I can change my relationship if it's not working, or, you know, I actually have a choice, and that's powerful. I, I understand the your mother getting frantic about that stuff, because right. when that depression, I mean, I've had, well, I've scary, had it, it, it's bleak, and you would do anything to avoid it, right. but in your, in your mother just didn't have the tools. Right. Nobody offered her anything else. Right. I'm, I'm guessing. That's true. That's true. Shock treatment, drugs, that was it. Well, she was in the dark ages. And back to the seven kids. Yeah, yeah, of course, <laughs> of course. Um, so, so we were. T- Sorry, I didn't mean to change the subject. No, mother, no, this, <laughs> you've, you've, you're like batting a thousand. Everything you're saying is interesting. I just wanted to make. I, I wanted to get back to your running the 
Oh, business. the business. All right, yeah. Because the other thing you do, aside from it sounds like a great place to work because, you, as I said before, you have got meditation rooms. You've got uh, people come around <laughs> giving massages. You have all this profit sharing. Um, oh, right. Profit sharing. And ESOP, we, you know, 40% owned by the employees. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I read something about at least 10% of the after-tax money went back to employees. 25. 25 now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So aside from aside from being very generous with your employees, um, you've done a lot of work on the supply chain, uh-huh. on on uh, the conditions. The planet's sustainability, that Absolutely. kind of thing. Absolutely. Yes, yeah. Um, now, I'm what, I, I see the why this makes sense from a global perspective, yeah. but does it make sense what you're doing from a business perspective? Um, well, I think it depends on how long-term you think about business. You know, so uh, you could think of it just straight from a business standpoint that we need to protect our our brand and our image. If you're just crassly thinking about it from that standpoint, that we don't want to be called out for you know um, situations in our factories that are not um, consistent with the way that we present ourselves. So that alone, just PR reasons, is is a business reason to do it. That's not what motivated us in the first place. I think it really came from, you know, the again, the kind of people that we draw into our company that just are more willing to open their eyes and see in a bigger way and, you know, didn't like things that they saw in the factories and, that, you know, whether it was the way people were treated or, you know, just things, fair pay, health, things of that nature that, you know, we wanted to make right. And the same for sustainability. We have probably, I don't even know how many people in the company. Across the company, there are probably 50 people who are regularly involved in our sustainability efforts. And and actually what it does in terms of business is those people are actually more motivated. You know, if they're a sustainability mm. ambassador or if they're, they feel that, and it's true, that their work is more meaningful, that they're not just producing things that are... Um, hurting people in the way they're being made or that are hurting the environment so they can feel they feel more meaningfully engaged and like they're actually making a difference and so they really care to teach that farmer how to you know grow the sheep how to how to i don't i'm i work with the sheep differently or work uh, the organic farmers or the dye houses that always looking for ways that we can make things different and better but but isn't it? Wouldn't it be a How is that cheap good for business? Right, go ahead. Would no? Would it be cheaper? Would it be better for your bottom line if you didn't take all of this care? Um, I don't know. I, I think totally in the total long term, no, would be my answer. Um, yeah, I think I think. Well, I think you can look. You know, it's in certain ways, certain things are more expensive. You know, like. Organic cotton costs 15% more, you know, things like that. It does cost more. But the loyalty, I think, that the customers, you know, and, you know, bring when they, and they might, they look at a garment, they want it, and then they realize, oh, that's kind of expensive. Oh, but it's organic. I can justify that. That's something meaningful, you know. And, and maybe at first they didn't care, and they're beginning to more and more be drawn in and care and, and feel proud of supporting a brand that's trying hard to make things right. So I think there's a long term. If, I, I'm lucky to be uh, privately owned because if I had to report quarterly earnings all the time and justify you know, these kinds of expenses, it might be harder. Um, but the employees, like 
you know, we had a meeting a number of years ago talking about the water crisis. And we had a few employees, a couple different employees that stood up and said, take my profit sharing. What can we do? Can we donate it to support the water crisis? Hmm. I mean, I think they really care. That's pretty amazing. But you've you've had moments, real tough moments in yeah. in business. The, the recession hit you hard. Yeah. You were hit hard by Hurricane uh, yeah, Sandy, Sandy, which yeah. destroyed a lot of your uh, inventory, yeah. uh, like one point five million dollars and stuff. Something did, like that. Yeah. Did, did you did, in moments like that? Did you rethink some of your do gooding? No, never, never. Um, I mean, there were moments that we had. I remember there was a moment, and that was 2008, but we had to pull back on our wellness benefit. We give $1,000 a year to every employee for additional kinds of wellness besides the regular medical benefits. So that's where the massages and you know yoga classes and all those kinds of things come in. Um, so we had to pull back. I think we, we gave only half, and we, you know, of course, couldn't give profit sharing if there was no profit, that kind of thing. Um, but um, our social consciousness work, I, I don't think we ever pulled back. We did pull back on some of our charity work. And one of the interesting things that happened, because we were giving, I think we give 5%. I don't know exactly what percentage we give, but at least that, um, to, to support women and girls and, and the environment and different charities and that kind of thing. So we had a lot of charities we cared a lot about, and that was 2008. And so we ended up out of this creating this recycle program as a way to uh, uh, get resources to support some of these organizations that we had to pull back on a little bit that we felt really uncomfortable about. Mm. And so we created this, this is, I love these problem-solving win-win things that happen. So we created this recycle program. We created it originally through the foundation with the idea of giving to those women's organizations. And then um, the recycle pr program grew so much. I mean, today it's it's employing, I don't know, at least 30 people, maybe more, just totally, you know, refurbishing the clothes and reselling them. And we sell, I don't even know, um, I, I better not quote the number, but a lot of recycled clothes. And oh, that's taken us to another whole place. Now we have mounds of recycled. And I, I don't wanna, but I, what I'm saying is that um, I think the commitment to the work, to the, to the good work, is, is an important part of who we are. So we don't stop that. Um, but we do have to, we, you know, it's, it's always, there's certain business decisions. And sometimes, like I was saying, around the charity piece, we had to pull back. But it created another whole program that's been really meaningful. And so I think there's, you know, just different ways around it. That's a great story because basically the intention remained to, yeah. to, to operate as an ethical business. And so when uh, the resource picture shifted. Right. It just found another outlet. Exactly. Yeah. So what would your – I would love to get your advice on a few things. So I'm a, now, uh, oddly enough, a small businessman. Yes. I, I, I want to be clear. I, so I, I have – there's this company, this 10% happier company. I'm not the CEO. There's an actual business oh, nice. person, a young guy who's the CEO. So no, I don't run the thing. But, you know, I – I would love to hear your advice as a – we have this lean little startup. We're trying to survive. Nice. We're trying to make it. Nice. How much energy should we be putting toward making sure the employees are taken care of and uh -huh. making sure we're doing good in the world? You know, all of the things that you're now doing as a, as a mature company. Mm. Oh, goodness. Um, I'm trying to remember how it was when I was small. Uh, and there was a moment in time I started giving 10% of the profits, and that was when there was extra profits. 
So, you know, if you're at that place where there's enough extra profits that you could share 10%, that would be a nice thing to do. Yeah, I can't imagine us having any profits, but okay. anyway. Well I, well, I can relate because I'm also starting the learning lab, and I'm in that same kind of place with the learning lab. It's not, it's, it's not profitable yet, so there's not, no profits yet to share. So, you know, but still, um, well, let's see, what do we do? We still ring the bell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what can you do? Um, I think that, you know, the way we conduct meetings and the way we care about the people, and, and I think you probably, when you're really small and you're close to people, I think it's pretty natural, I'm guessing. Yeah. No, the, the Be with people in a way that, you know, that you care. It's when you start to get another step bigger that things start to get, no? Is that... I Would think that's probably that's exactly natural, right. That you're, you're like a family and people care about each other and there's those basics. They're based up in Boston, so um, at, for a bunch, bunch of reasons that are not going to be interesting, um, but it's a very small group, and the vibe, for lack of a better word, is extremely positive. Yeah. You know, there's a yeah. unity of purpose and yeah. all of those things. Yeah. But it, I can Do they meditate every day? Yeah, everybody's serious meditating. so nice. It's great. Yeah. Um, I don't so monitor their there. practice. You don't have to do anything. It's all there. It's there in a way, but we need to what make sure... What would you want to do? What, what else? What else? Go well, ahead. We well, need to I don't sure. know... I don't know, because I don't run anything before, yeah, so I yeah, don't know yeah. how much attention I, should I be paying to making sure that there's some sort of emotional care and feeding of these people, uh, uh, rallying of the troops. I, I don't I don't know. This is all so new to me. Yeah. And there is a way in which when you're new and just trying to survive in a crowded marketplace that you can really be focused on that stuff and not focused right. on the, the things that you now spend a lot of time focusing on. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, I don't personally focus on them either. I have people in culture, people who focus on those kinds of things. But you've made it a priority for yes. the company. Yes. And that's, yes. that is a form of focus. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think. Well, I'm thinking in the organization, the kind of organization that you have, that you probably wouldn't need things like coaches. You're probably not having problems where people are mistreating, no. unaware of how they're impacting others and the way they speak and treat people. And Maybe, but I'm not aware of those. Yeah. I'm probably the problem. I hope not. I doubt it. I, I was kidding, but then I realized maybe I was true. <laughs> well, it's weird because we don't always know how no, we you don't know. people. No, you, you know? don't know. It's like I was thinking, I probably shouldn't tell the story, but my daughter was working for this guy. This is probably a terribly unrelated story, but it's just pointing out the unconsciousness that is in places where we don't know. I should probably tell more a story myself. But anyway, my daughter was working for this man, fairly young man, who was, you know, kind of putting his arm around her and treating her in ways that felt like he was kind of acting like he was her girlfriend. He, oh, she was no. his girlfriend, and she yeah. was getting really uncomfortable. And so one day she just sat down with him and said, you know, this is making me really uncomfortable. And he was, like, shocked. He was like, oh, wow, I, I'm sorry. I didn't even know. I didn't even think about it. And, 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 and she said after that he was completely different, and they continued to work together, and it was okay. But it was... It was like he really honestly didn't understand yeah. how he was impacting her and that there was anything inappropriate about it. So oh, I was so proud of her. But <laughs> but I'm just saying, I think that, that that was a kind of an extreme example maybe, but I think I do a lot of things. I had somebody tell me that I'm too critical one time or people give me feedback that, you know, like, Eileen, you, I am asking them now, you kind of, I lost you in that meeting somewhere. Where did you go? You kind of spaced out or something so i'm asking people to give me feedback like tell me that's one thing you could do yeah give me feedback so i could like, say to the folks in the company like, hey. just make sure you tell me what i could do better on a regular yeah. ask them oh. regularly yeah, what yeah. can i do better yeah yeah 
That's good. Ask, ask them one-on-one, too. That makes them feel safer, maybe. We can ask them in the group, too. No, I think Tell it's them good. that you want to ask them and that you'll, and they could think about it. And, and then follow up. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Okay, here's my other area okay. to advice. You have how many kids? Two. And they're in their 20s? Yeah. Uh, so obviously we're at different stages oh. of the life cycle. Yeah, yeah, Mine's yeah, one and something. Um, precious place. Be there as much as you can. I'm trying. That's my advice. Absolutely. Uh, that was my failure. If I have any regrets, boy, it's back to their infancy, their little childhood years. and I wasn't as present. Because you were running this business. Yeah. And I was always pulled in by it. And I always thought those problems and that work was more important. So I... Anyway, are they, that's my advice. I'm are they mad about crying. that now? <laughs> um, I think they've gotten over it, but I think that it wasn't helpful, you know. And then I ended up in a nasty divorce, and it was really complicated. Um, I think it was, you know, really hard. That was the hardest. I think about these issues all the time because the the most precious resource is time. Right. And if you're busy, you were very busy. Right. And you are very busy, and I'm very busy. You know how if you've got this kid and you're married and you want all that to be right, you want to be there for it, um, yeah. but you also don't want to screw up all the things that that you're trying to do. Yes, it's a very tough balance. Yeah, don't you think meditation helps? Absolutely. Here's why: I think because it's not so much about quantity of. This is going to sound like a super cliche right. thing to say, but it's 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 not about the quantity of time. Yes, it is. I mean, you have to be there for us enough time yeah. but it's a, when you're there you got to actually be, be there, there not to on the phone be there exactly not, and i used to read reports and watch them play on the floor and you know rather than be there when i was there i think that's the important thing so yeah. i try to do a little bit of that you know if i'm in the room with him uh really get on the floor and uh hang around with him until he gets annoyed with me and then and then i can read the, my phone or something like that but there's i'm trying to toggle back and forth between um Taking care of business, yeah, and making sure that I'm a father. Yeah, that's good. Or leave How the phone he? aside. He's uh, twenty months. Oh, so he's still really young. So yeah. you're not at the place where you can teach him a little yoga or meditation. <laughs> you can hang with him that way. I mean, good luck. Not yet. Not yet. No, no. Oh, we maybe uh, he, four. He knows his numbers and letters and stuff like that. That's, and I'm basically trying to teach him not to kill the cats uh, <laughs> or throw his food at his mom. Real basic stuff. That's good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I think when you know when he stops pooping his pants, I can teach him to meditate. That's <laughs> yeah. probably where that's the goal. Um, it's a great time, though. It is it's great. great. It's time. phenomenal. And just like I think your advice to yourself of just be there when you're there is is the most important. The frustrating thing about being a parent for me as somebody who's like built uh, part of at least a part of his career on you know fighting against cliches <laughs> is that every th- cliche about parenting is true. <laughs> They're all Which true. What are you thinking of? It's the best and the worst simultaneously. Oh, right. yeah, yeah. You'll never love like this before. <laughs> you know, it it goes so fast. Right. All of those oh, things it are it's incredibly true. <laughs> uh, and if you're and if you're reflexively pushing that stuff away, you're going to miss some important advice. Mm-hmm. I was stu- struck when I I I can't help it. I post pictures of him all the time on social media because I think he's really cute. Um, <laughs> And when I when he was born, I posted a few pictures, and thousands of people were saying the same thing. <laughs> they were saying, "Enjoy every moment," oh, right? Man. And I thought, okay, this is just yeah, a boilerplate cliche, thing right? you say, but actually, there's something there. There's oh. there's signal in the noise. Oh. 
Well, I'm so happy for you that you have that opportunity to make that choice now. Like when I when my kids were young, I didn't have the I didn't have the wherewithal or the tools to actually know that I could make that choice, that moment-to-moment choice. Well, let me make a devil's advocate argument. You di- you what you said right there, you didn't have the wherewithal or the tools. You can't go back in time. No. But you have the wherewithal and tools now and yeah. so you can use so them I'm to the best the of your ability. So I'm doing the best I can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I'm really struggling. And I, but that's a different story with my my son in particular. Is the meditation helpful? To me? Oh, yes. Oh my god. I couldn't I couldn't do what I'm doing right now in in the way I'm trying to be with him uh, without it. I, I don't believe I could. How do you think he would react if you said, before every discussion, we're going to ring a bell? <laughs> well, sometimes I light a candle. <laughs> so <laughs> I get close. <laughs> How does he react to that? Uh, I don't know if he... Uh, um, hmm, how does he react? Uh I don't know. He's used to it. So yeah, it's just mom. Enough. It's just mom being mom. Mm-hmm. Maybe for a 27-year-old, the thing to do is um, open a beer and give it Yeah, to yeah, maybe. <laughs> I'll try that one next Trying time. to channel my 27-year-old self. <laughs> okay, there's another edition of the 10% Happier Podcast. If you liked it, please make sure to uh, subscribe, rate us. And uh, if you want to suggest topics we should cover or guests uh, we should bring in, hit me up on Twitter, at Dan B. Harris. I also want to thank heartily the people who produce this podcast and really do pretty much all the work. Lauren Efron, Josh Cohan, Sarah Amos, Andrew Kalb, Steve Jones, and the head of ABC News Digital, Dan Silver. Uh, I'll talk to you next Wednesday. If you like 10% Happier, and I hope you do, uh, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com slash survey. Once upon a beat. Remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me DJ and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the New Kids and Family Podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. 
Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books.